You're listening to People First, the Hyde Park Angels podcast dedicated to deconstructing entrepreneurial success and actionable takeaways you can use today. Hyde Park Angels is the most active early stage investor in Chicago with a commitment to taking a people first approach to investing. By matching our members' expertise and our entrepreneurs' needs, we help develop top-performing companies that are delivering extraordinary results. I'm your host, Pete Wilkins, Managing Director here at HPA. Enjoy the show. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, Pete Wilkins with Hyde Park Angels. I'm the Managing Director, and I have the great pleasure to be sitting down with Dan Murray. Um, Dan, I don't want to steal any of your thunder, so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and... uh, Introduce yourself and give a little bit about your background, please. Sure. Thanks, Pete. Well, uh, you said my name's Dan Murray. I'm from uh, Ames, Iowa, um, kind of a unique place. Uh, in the center of Iowa, we have uh, 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 had quite a great experience there in building early stage companies. Uh, I started my first company when I was uh, 19 years old. Actually, was really on the ground floor of a company called Engineering Animation Incorporated. We uh, grew that company from uh, you know, its very beginnings to about 125 million in revenue. We did an IPO. That's nice work, right? Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty fun. Um, we went public in 1996, and uh, I was the chief software architect there. We really didn't find our rhythm until about 95, 96, with products in manufacturing and visualization. Uh, so we had large customers like Ford and GM and Chrysler really all over the world, Rolls-Royce, Airbus. Um, Pretty impressive list. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And I got to do a lot of traveling when I was a kid, basically meeting with, you know, heads of engineering for different departments in these large companies, you know, selling and supporting our product. So after a, about a 10-year run, we ended up selling that company to uh, Unigraphic Solutions, which was then taken private by EDS. The combination was taken private by EDS. And after that, I took a little bit of a step back and kicked sure. around. Deserved know. it, right? Well, you got to decompress after yeah. you, after those hard pushes. So anyway, I took a step back and uh, then uh, got involved, started another business that focused on um, uh, customer support and sales training, online customer support and sales training. And uh, that was an interesting ride. I uh, ended up with a small exit there. Um, but at least then, you got a nice trend coming together, building <laughs> companies, growing them, selling them. That's nice, right? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. I, as a result of that one, kind of happened into an opportunity to do some consulting, really built a consulting business after that. Uh, we focused on a platform for pharmaceutical sales. Mm-hmm. And we had companies like Pfizer and Merck and Mead Johnson. Uh, that, that went really very well. I uh, had a group that really started in the basement of my house just doing consulting. had a lot of guys moonlighting. and uh, Sounds like a lot of things have been going on in garages and basements <sighs> that eventually you're selling to Fortune 500 type yeah. of clients. So yeah. that's also a good trend. Yeah. So anyway, I was in the middle of that one. And I got a call from my uh, former partner's leadership at uh, Engineering Animation Incorporated. And uh, these guys, uh, can't say enough about them, uh, Matt Rezai, Marty Vanderplow, Jeff Trom, uh, those guys have been coaches and mentors to me uh, you know, my, my, my entire adult life. And I got a call from them saying, hey, Dan, we've got this idea. So I flew out to California, met with them, and it was financial reporting. And that became the, 
basis of the next company that I built with that team. And a uh, company we called Web Filings at the time, it's now known as Workiva, uh, another IPO. I was in the midst again of doing uh, something different and could just see the opportunity and uh, you know jumped in with both feet. Again, we got that ramped up in the basement of my house. Uh, which right now we're in the process of remodeling. Well, you should <laughs> honestly, maybe we, we um, extract it uh, to some degree and make a little museum in Ames, Iowa, of the basement of your house. Have you thought about maybe, just, or maybe not a museum, but take like a, the couch or the rug and put it somewhere so you could do that someday? Yeah, I, you know, um, we're, we're in the process of remodeling, so I think there's an opportunity to do that right now. <laughs> all right, my, all right. my wife would like to get rid of some of the furniture. Yeah, so. I understand. <laughs> well, that's impressive stuff, though. I mean, Workiva has been and continues to serve two-thirds out of the Fortune 500 companies. I know that you guys have built it in, in a matter of pretty short time to yeah. really build on this whole idea of, of the cloud and being able to, for, to, to help integration of collaboration. And I know we're going to spend some time discussing kind of what you see maybe back then and what you see in the future. So, yeah, you know, and the guys at Workiva, they're still killing it. Uh, you know, I took a step back a few years ago. Uh, I think one of the things I learned as an entrepreneur is kind of, you know, know what your skills, know what you're good at. And I'm good at the first four or five years. You know, when the organization gets big, you know, it's kind of time to step back and, you know, people who are good at running organizations, good at scaling to that, you know, thousand, you know, 2000 yeah. employee, you know, it's you got you got to kind of see that as an entrepreneur and know when it's time to get out and kind of do your next thing. And I'm gonna uh, can I just kind of like underscore this or double click as all the kids say nowadays. Um, I think that's seeing hundreds of op on entrepreneurs on a regular basis and over 50 portfolio companies um, that we have. And and for those listeners out there, we're fortunate. Dan is also a High Park Angels member, and and I think is those that listen to the, the program regularly, the idea is that we take folks that have started, scaled, sold their businesses, IPO'd their businesses, and try to match them with entrepreneurs trying to do the same. And I think you really kind of highlighted something that I want to make sure mm -hmm. we underscore is the fact that you don't necessarily have to be the man from beginning to end. There's an evolution that uh, each of us might have skills, some might have skills that continue to evolve along the way, but many of us are really good at certain sprints along the way, and so recognizing that that's important, and it's really a strength, not a weakness. I couldn't agree more. I, I think that as you're building the business, it's easy. You know, you want to take as much ownership in these businesses as possible in the early days, but, you know, you think of a business kind of like, you know, kind of like a child, right? At a yep. certain point, it grows up, and you got to let it go. Let it go so it can become, you know, the best it can be. And you're not always going to be the best person, you know, when you're in the middle of these sprints and you get to the point where it becomes challenging for you to feel as effective as you once were. And it becomes challenging to kind of be part of a, a culture that's having to implement more process because the company's larger. You know, if that's not fun anymore recognize that yep. and get out get out when you can uh get back into something that can be fun for you and that has motivated me you know throughout my career to you know kind of get out and kind of do the next thing and, and i'll underscore this as well is that that also probably will create 
the most value for all the stakeholders. It creates value for you because you are focusing on what you like to do. Mm-hmm. It creates the opportunity for the organization to continue to evolve and bring in different type of people with different type of skill sets. And since you maintain your equity in the organization, that growth benefits you, the right. shareholders, and other stakeholders within the organization. Yeah. And the key thing I'll say is that I mean, you really have to trust the people that are that you get into the business with and that are there to be able to do that. And th- that was a benefit that I had that uh, you know I really think is uncommon uh, to have as much trust as we had. And we built a business before yes. together. Uh, so I always look at that as being kind of a key foundation for me when I look at starting businesses. Get into it with people that you trust. I think that's critical, um, not only who you're partnering with, but who your capital partners are, et cetera. But I think the, the one thing that our listeners certainly can trust is you probably have some really keen perspectives on when you were looking at any of these companies, kind of the, the whole idea is how do you build collaboration software um, in the cloud to transform how people are doing things. Maybe even dive into work a little bit sure. and how you were solving problems and how that's uh, given you your perspective and right. going forward. Yeah, so if there's one thing that I that I do, I guess, I had a moment after work where I said, what is it I do? And the, the thing that I do, I guess, I build B2B software, collaborative B2B software that Typically, I look for a real business challenge, some, something that a process in business that has a high degree of pain, where people are spending you know, hours, days, weeks doing something manually that they can uh, automate with software and you know, facilitate collaboration and communication with each other that reduces the process time by days or typically weeks mm-hmm. worth of time. So in at my first company, Engineering Animation Corporate, we did that with manufacturing visualization. And we saved uh, design cycle times for large manufacturers, weeks worth of design cycle time for products. Which is in dollar amount when you're saving that type of time. Oh, easily in the millions, tens of millions. If you do it across product lines, you're talking hundreds of millions to billions. So huge being able to have this collaboration, this whole visual manufacturing in the cloud was able to allow these folks to collaborate um, in a really effective fashion and ultimately had some significant impact on their bottom line. Exactly. And so, you know, you fast forward to Workiva and you take a look at what we did with Workiva. So the way we got started was uh, I had a couple partners that recognized the challenge that public companies have in filing their 10Qs and 10Ks with the SEC. Manual process, they're using uh, Word and Excel to do this. They're relying on outsourced consultants mm-hmm. to form the final HTML to deliver to the SEC. And at the time, there was a new standard uh, format that uh, the SEC was starting to require called XBRL. Mm-hmm. And so, it's which a, all this stuff is also required by law if you're a public company. So it wasn't like they could that's right not do it. They had to do it, right? Yeah, exactly. So they had to do it, and this XBRL mandate was really, uh, it was scaring the life out of the, uh, the financial reporting teams at these public companies. And it's a very technical format. And they had a case where the financial printers and some other outsource uh, uh, companies they were working with were you know, charging them a lot of money, and it was all variable costs, so they couldn't predict how much money they were gonna spend at the end of their reporting cycle. 
And again, they're doing it all manually with mm -hmm. Word and Excel, and they're using uh, uh, you know, file systems, shared, shared hard drives, and email to transfer everything. And so you know, I think anybody who's worked with Word and Excel and tried to collaborate with it, you end up with, with these you know, documents, and if you make changes, you have to kind of send your changes to people, and it becomes a mess trying to manage that process with files. Right. And so similar to what we did at EAI, we took that whole process and put it in the cloud and put all the data in the cloud. And we worked out early on, we were a first mover with Google App Engine. I mean, this was really in the 2008, early days of cloud computing. Can, can I, so, let, let's, so I think that you hit on something that a lot of our listeners can really relate to, because I bet you many of them use Google Docs. Um, yeah. And so basically, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but to help our listeners think through this is, you kind of created a Google Doc for these forms and regulations that public companies needed to provide, and you allowed all these people to work on it in a way that was automated and streamlined. Is that accurate? That's exactly right. So you would work with our product in a browser, and our product would enable you to link data so that you could have one place to change it. It would update everywhere it's used. And then uh, you would be able to work on it with a team of people simultaneously. And so an example of some success with that, uh, so my path through companies tends to touch on a lot of different areas, but one of the places I get involved in is sales. And one of my house accounts was JP Morgan. And the first time JP Morgan used our product, they filed their 10Q three weeks earlier than they ever had in their history. So you know, it was exciting, enabling that kind of collaboration, but it also was meaningful because the people that worked with the product were able to get home in time for dinner, where yeah. they'd ordinarily be there overnight. So, And I think you know one of the things that I'll, I'll just say is there's probably folks listening that think, well, this collaboration will never work. But just to remind everyone where we started, 75% of all the Fortune 500 companies now use this product. Right. You guys were able to go public. So there isn't any doubt that this was successful, but I think that I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to step back a little mm -hmm. bit. There's always doubt when you're building it as an entrepreneur for sure. Right. And so as a, I know you had a sales role, but you also were instrumental from a product development standpoint. And when you're looking at building software from an MVP perspective, what did you have to do at Workiva to say, okay, we have the right thing that we can go to market to these Fortune 500, but it's not perfect? Does that make sense? Maybe you could expand on your experience there. <laughs> yeah, my, my experience is, and I think this is the way, the way I've done it, and the way I've seen a lot of successful companies do it. You know, you build a product, it's almost like you're building an airplane in flight, right? So you identify what the key pain points are for your target market, and you start to build the product. And we were fortunate at Workiva, we had two former CFOs that were partners of mine, and two, uh, uh, two women who were just, I, I can't say enough, incredible uh, former controllers who understood the process very well and understood mm -hmm. how tools like Word and Excel are used uh, in the process. And so we were able to just, as my development team, we were able to mine a lot of knowledge from them. Uh, many times we'd sit on the couch in my basement and project stuff on the wall mm -hmm. and talk over how they're used today. And the development team was able to just you know, get some of the key features out. 
but we reached a point where the product, the engineering team would say, well, I don't think it's ready yet. I don't think it's mm -hmm. ready yet. But we all said, we've got to get in the market. We've mm -hmm. got to get out there and start getting customers to use the product because that's where you learn. You'll learn how they use your product mm -hmm. and they can help you be successful. And so we went through the process of really establishing those early, early adopter customers and we picked them right. Yeah, um, well that's good, clearly they, they kept it up. So the, the question I would have, so how many years ago in ballpark was this? Uh, this was in 2008, 2009 we All were right, doing so this. All right, we're, so we're in, so just for rounding purposes, about 10 years ago? Yes. So the cloud world um, is different now than it was when you were looking at how do we do this. I'd imagine at that point in time there were security issues, especially with this valuable mm -hmm. um, confidential information. Um, so I'm going to ask you two questions, um, and you can answer both, or you can choose the one you want to answer. So it's uh, it's your lucky day. Number one, what were the challenges at that time did you face in selecting um, the right solution in the cloud? And then, or the question is, if now, if you were to start this company, which you have AWS, Azure, et cetera, there's plenty of opportunities to kind of look at what do you think the benefits are today for those that are starting off? I mean, I think that a lot of people probably could understand how you had problems, but they're probably most interested in how do you look at this marketplace now? Sure, sure. Well, back then, we really had Amazon and Google. And Google had announced Google App Engine a month before we really got moving on the product. And so we chose Google at the time, and, and it was early for them, and it yep. was early for us. And so that was challenging. Cloud services from Google, from Amazon, Azure, and they've all become much more mature. Mm -hmm. And I think the challenges that face people today are that there's so much choice. Mm -hmm. And when we were developing the product back then, we were, when we launched, we became the first cloud solution for many of the, com the companies that uh, we sold to. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. We were the first cloud solution at J.P. Morgan. So, I think you a could lot put of that, that in your museum as well. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> it was it was a yeah. it was a long cycle with right them. next to that couch. It was a long cycle with them, but great people to work with. So, I think today the challenges I see with cloud is there's just so much choice. Mm -hmm. I've recently been through a process of taking a look at what's out there, and it's as an entrepreneur, as a developer, it's kind of hard to know what platform to pick and what to what tools to pick off sure. the shelf because yeah. there's so much. And so when I look at it, I think it depends a lot on your market where you're going into. For me, B2B, uh, information security is top of the list. Mm -hmm. And so I've got to go with a pretty mature provider that can provide me with the ability to do SOC, you know, SOC 2 type 2 compliance. All right. Uh, you know, so one of the most mature ones in that space is clearly Amazon, although, you know, there are several good choices right now. I think that's really the biggest challenge is picking, picking the platform for your market that your customers are going to, you know, be most comfortable adopting. Mm -hmm. And then you've got all these choices in terms of tools, and you've really got to pick the tools that are specific, the best tools specific to the product. So if you have uh, certainly... Uh, you have latency, you need to, need to 
ensure that you have low latency, mm -hmm. then there are certain uh, certain elements of those platforms where you have to really look carefully and make sure that if you have a specific part of your application that has to be low latency, check that out. Make sure you have conversations with these cloud providers. That's one thing that they have today that I didn't have back then. Right. Is they have people on staff for you to talk to and help match you with tools. And if you can find a you know, create a good relationship with one right. of them, you know, do that. Take as much advantage of that as you can. So the the benefit you have is you've built three companies. Right. If you were to provide like to the entrepreneur who is just starting to think about this, what would be the three things you would tell that entrepreneur to evaluate as they pick a cloud service provider uh, for their solution? Well, first of all, I would definitely pick one that can provide you the best support, right? Okay. Uh, that's something I've benefited from with the past few companies I've done. Uh, pick one that listens and listens well to you, whether it's their sales or support team. That's the first thing. Second thing is make sure you evaluate very carefully the ability to scale with their platform and okay. understand, you know, understand those vectors because you know, it, it, I mean, the thing that you want, you want to build a business that scales, and you've got to, you got so to. So, what do you look for? Because I can't imagine like they, any of these guys are saying, yeah, we don't scale well. <laughs> they all say they don't scale well, but you know, definitely today the big, you know, the big topic in scale is you know container deployment, and making sure that you have a, a tool that sits on top of that container deployment that you know monitors and and manages the different nodes in your architecture. Your, uh, and that you know, as you become kind of resource, uh, I guess deprived in certain right. elements of platform, that it will you know automatically deploy. And that's one of the things that and I have always looked at investing heavily in. You know, make sure you have a really solid uh, DevOps approach. Right. And I think one of the approaches I'm taking with my new business right now, and really uh, you know led by a great team member that just came on board a, few, a month ago is to build DevOps into your entire organization. Don't put DevOps. Can you, let's, um, for DevOps development operations, mm -hmm. can you give a sense of, I know many entrepreneurs um, probably don't have full appreciation what that all entails. Would you mind? Oh boy, well, I mean DevOps, the DevOps people typically sit in the middle of the dev team and what they'll do is, you know, they'll take the results of, um, a, a build mm -hmm. and they'll ensure that they deploy it and you know, get it deployed in the cloud but they're also responsible for the scaling infrastructure a lot of times they become responsible or take responsibility for your uh, revision control system mm -hmm. and your continuous integration platform because once you're out on the cloud and how this is being deployed has impact to your clients that are using the product and then right. Your uh, version control and all of those elements internally, as you release those things, have to be really tight, and that all that are all those are all factors in uh, the whole ability to scale when you're looking at. That. And then probably different products have different needs too, right? Absolutely, they do. One thing that we found very effective at Workiva, and you know, I'm building into you know the new business here too, is this idea of just continuous release. You, know, you build a product, you want to deploy it to the cloud, you want to make sure that that deployment system uh, is effective mm -hmm. and repeatable, scalable. 
but you think of the release process as a moving train. Right. And instead of thinking of sort of a big bang software release, everything's ready, right. so we're going to release it, you, know, you just think of it, it's a moving train, and the things that are ready get on the train. The things that aren't ready wait for the next car. Right. You know, that is incredibly effective, and it enables you to have a focus on quality, which your customers expect. Customers and you got to have strong leadership internally to make sure you manage that process, though, correct? That's right, and that's where DevOps comes into play. You've got to have someone who I really think, as I've seen it and seen software business evolve and the approach to developing software evolve, DevOps people have to wear so many different hats. Mm -hmm. And because they have to wear so many different hats, they see so many different aspects of development. And so I'm seeing a theme now where there are DevOps people that are being put into leadership roles. Mm -hmm. And they're building DevOps as something that everybody in the organization, everybody in the engineering organization does so that you don't have a single group that's right. just saddled with you know, catching all the new features and making right. sure they get deployed. That, that is probably, if you were to go back a decade ago, probably one of the biggest evolutions of software development that you probably see that the yes. cloud um, and cloud services have really driven forward, wouldn't you say? A absolutely, and the thing that's really kind of neat about it too is that, well, oftentimes when you go to look for, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, you're building a business and you're looking to hire people into your business, oftentimes people will look, you know, you'll look for somebody who's good with DevOps and they have historically been in fairly short supply to get I bet. really strong ones. But as companies evolve this approach to DevOps where it in, involves everybody in the engineering team, you find more people capable of doing it, understanding what that deployment means and what it means to scale software yep. in the cloud. So th th that's great. So I'm going to come back to kind of how we got into DevOps, and that's the idea of scale. And so we were talking to making sure that our cloud service providers are able to scale and having insights of what that looks like mm -hmm. on an ongoing release cycle is, is critical. Right. So you mentioned the first one is support. And so I think one of the things that I, that I kind of extracted was clearly you're going to evaluate support by how you're supported in the initial engagement with the sales folks. Mm -hmm. But the second element for support is how they're going to support your DevOps folks mm -hmm. when they're starting to scale. So support, then you got scale. What? And then you said there was, I guess maybe I said you can, I think I said give me three, but you can give me more. But what are some of the other things when you're looking at um, cloud service providers that you have to evaluate? And you just have to give me one more to hit one the three. One more. One more. Or maybe, maybe. My head's swimming right now. There are a lot of, a lot of concepts floating around. <laughs> All right, you know, fair, but fair enough. Yeah, I think, you know, I think when you're evaluating, you know, evaluating those platforms, I think you also want to look at how quickly are they innovating. Okay. And because software moves so fast, right. um, I think one of the things when I talk to others that mm -hmm. are, uh, working and scaling the software business. At some point, you know, you build software, you deploy it, and your your tech stack becomes fairly, you know, more fixed, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have the right architecture, you're able to take advantages of new capabilities that uh, the cloud providers come out with. And so, I always like to make sure that the cloud providers innovative and they're coming out with new things, and they're look they're constantly improving themselves. I think that that's one way. The idea of looking at support, scale, and innovation um, gives our listeners today kind of a good touch points 
on how they're evaluating clearly price and a host of other things come into play i think that that conversation around your devops folks um would lead me to a next question that i have so you're talking about building a team early on mm -hmm. um, when you're building that team early on besides devops um, when you're trying to build uh, a strong software suite or solution who else do you feel has to be on that core team yeah, I mean, you want you want people, my opinion, throughout the organization in any function in the organization, that are able to wear multiple hats. That they, you know, they're they're humble. They're willing to take out the trash when it's time to take out the trash. And I think another key thing too is to recognize in an early stage of business, uh, you want to have people who can work on something and then say, okay, that didn't work, that doesn't work, right. and be able to walk away from it right. without you know, any, sort of, uh, any sort of negative feeling about it. Yep. It didn't work, okay, on to the next thing. Yep. Uh, that resiliency really serves a company well in the early stages. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so the, the team concept, generalists, making sure you got some DevOps folks, you got, it's clearly, would you agree product is important, engineers are important, what would you say are in that initial um, mix of folks that people mm -hmm. should consider when they're building uh, a, a SaaS type of solution? Well, I think you definitely want to have a strong product manager, okay. and oftentimes that can be the entrepreneur in the early days. Uh, usually they have a great vision for the product, but the thing I would say to the entrepreneur that has the vision for the product is, Number one, uh, you know, don't under underestimate your need to get out of working in the business and working on the business. Yeah. And being able to have somebody that you can trust that can take your vision and really own it mm -hmm. and work with the team uh, to get to that MVP and really understand what it is you're building and make sure that the developers understand exactly what they're building. and you know, you don't find yourself in a conference room sitting down going through a long list of things in Excel and with somebody saying, hey, right. would this work, would that right. work? You gotta build from use cases that come from your target market to begin with. And Makes product it. managers, good product managers know how to do that. Yep. Well, uh, I know that you have a pretty good sense of how to build that team and you're in the process of building a team on your stealth project as well and you know i'd love to kind of get your insights on what you think the future is kind of what's motivating you but before we do that mm -hmm. um i want to let you give a shout out uh to iowa and ames why is that a great place to build a business well thanks pete i appreciate the opportunity uh you know i grew up in iowa i'm from small town iowa i grew up in a community of 4,500 people. And Iowa is a unique place. So we're a small state. We only have 3 million people. But uh, I've traveled, traveled the world, and the work ethic in Iowa is unbelievable. And the loyalty that people have to uh, each other, to family, and to uh, the, the business that they work for, work with, and people that they work with uh, is second to none. And you know, that, I think, the other element is that Iowa, uh, especially my community, Ames, has had a lot of experience helping 
companies to really grow and scale. Uh, organizations like Iowa State University, the Ames Chamber of Commerce, the state of Iowa have been instrumental to me and my partners in building every business that I've been part of. And they know how to help you capitalize your business. They know how to help you get resources that you need. And they know when to get out of your way. And that's one thing that they would you know, definitely underscore is that they know when to get out of your way and let you do your thing. So, Dan, I, I wanted to thank you for your time. This has been incredibly insightful. Um, you're a true leader in your home community, um, Ames, Iowa. You're a leader at Hyde Park Angels. And I think you're, you're, you're inspirational to those entrepreneurs to show them that you can start it in your basement and take though that idea to a public company, not once but twice, anywhere in the world. So really appreciate it, Dan.